1: The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.
2: I knew the situation I was going into regardless if they drafted somebody or they didn't. I was on a one-year deal, and I was going to be the starter. So my mindset didn't have to change. I already knew that... I'm gonna do everything I can to be the best player I can for this team and to help us win a lot of football games. And that's been my goal from the very beginning. And so, uh, whatever happens after this year happens, but my mindset didn't change just because they drafted Justin. As the Bears projected right now, starting quarterback, Andy Dalton. Got a good look at him today out at the, the OTAs in Lake Forest where I spent a good chunk of my day today. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score and I'm available to you at 312-644-6767 that is also the text line and love hearing your voice though 312-644-6767 I've had a wonderful day today watched the bears for a couple hours did some uh, TV stuff with my guy Jared Payton for WGN TV tonight, which you could watch at 10.30 tonight. If you need more Bears, I'll have it for you on the TV side tonight. And then I, I got to watch the entire Cubs game, about which I will speak in just a couple of moments. But 3 44 67 finishing up some of our Bears business. It is Stacy in Spring Valley. Hi, Stacy. You're on the score. Hi. Thanks for having me
0: on here. I just wanted to say – um My patience with the Bears is different than it ever has been in my whole life, and it's the quarterback situation. I just hope for once that they do right by Justin Fields and bringing him along. I hope they're capable. Um, And as far as me, I mean, the Cubs won the World Series. Let's let's, have a quarterback for once, and that's all I have. Thank you.
2: Alright my man, Stacy, thank you very much for calling. 312-644-67. 67 is the number. Yeah, I mean, like this is this is def- this is different than anything the Bears have ever done. You know, I mean I'm thinking my my lifetime, my Bears consciousness, which goes back basically to the eighty-five Bears when I was a kid, and and Jim McMahon, who was a was a good quarterback. He was incredibly injury prone. And I think that that was a big mark against him. It was. Like, if he had been healthy, the Bears may have won another Super Bowl. But Jim McMahon was a good quarterback. Um, Jake Cutler was thrilling the, when they got him, when they got him for Denver. And he turned out to be just, like, probably good, I guess, but never lived up to expectations, never got the Bears to where they wanted to go, never won because of him. And But it was thrilling when they when they got him. It was very exciting when the Bears drafted Mitchell Trubisky. It was, I mean, to not just to move up. If they had, you know, if he was the third pick, it would have been exciting, and the, the, it felt very like most people supported it. Most people were excited and anxious and wanting to see Mitchell Trubisky and not wanting to see Mike Glennon and all of that. This this one, um, Justin Fields, is on a different level with me because of the fact that he because of his college career because trubisky while i supported the the drafting and i listened to the scouts and the evaluators and i I was sold right but with justin fields we all got to see it we got to see what he did at ohio state and we get to now hear things that are real about Justin Fields and so it's a different level of excitement because of the fact that he he's a draft pick, they moved up to get him and he did what he did at a big time program in college football, if not the biggest college football program at Ohio State. Last thing I want to say right now about about Justin Fields is unless you guys want to jump in 312 644 67, 67 is I can, what I can't wait to see now having watched a bunch of practices with him is him at full speed you know like i saw him sprint down the field today like going back to huddle or whatever i don't even remember why he was but i saw him sprint. I'm like okay that's the first time i've seen got a little taste of the justin fields running and even though he was running hard it wasn't like you could tell he wasn't going maximum i can't wait and i'm probably going to have to wait until either bourbonnais or Moreover, or more likely, I should say, Saturday, August 14th, when the Bears host Miami at noon in a preseason game. But it's the full speed, full pad stuff that I'm anxious for. And I know I'm like jumping way ahead, but, you know. Shorts and shells, that's the helmet. um, It's just not going to tell the whole story. And I've told you as much of the story as as I can. One last text here from the 630. If Justin Fields has a Russell Wilson-style rookie campaign, not likely but not impossible, he puts in parentheses. How far do you think the Bears could go? That's an awesome question, right? Because that's been the comp. You know, Russell Wilson comes in, drafted out of Wisconsin in, what, the fourth round, and he was not the starter. And then he became undeniable and then became the starter because he was undeniable, which I think is possible for Justin Fields. How far do I think the Bears will go? Um, I, I think that they could probably win a playoff game. I mean, if, if he looks that good, like good enough in Matt Nagy's eyes to be the starter September 12th, yeah, I'd I'd project playoffs. Um, You know, I I have a feeling the Bears defense is going to be better this year than it was last year, and there there, there were some jarring moments for that defense last year, like right from the beginning of the year against Detroit, and you have old man Adrian Peterson busting through the line, and too many times where running backs for opposing teams just busted through that front line, and, you know, some of it attributed to Eddie Goldman, but hopefully you'll have Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks healthy at the same time for the first time in a while. And then some, some prideful veterans like Eddie Jackson looking for a bounce back year. You know, obviously the Kyle Fuller loss for this year, that's huge, no doubt about it. And there will be competition for the opposite side of, of Jalen Johnson um you know just a lot of a lot of prideful guys on defense khalil mack another one robert quinn we talked about roquan smith appears to be you know good for him he's still got the chip on his shoulder because he was denied pro bowl and all pro last year when he probably could have or even should have had both so yeah I mean, if it does get to that, I would definitely predict playoffs. Right now, I don't have a prediction for you. It's impossible. It's just impossible. Uh, 3 1, 2, 6, 44, 67, 67. The Cubs. The Cubs. They win today. They have been impressive against the San Diego Padres this year. Swept them at Wrigley Field. Took two out of three this weekend. And then the impressive getaway day win over the Padres today. Cubs, three. Padres won, it, and I was trying to square this up in my brain as I was uh, walking back from the store just before the show. And I was like, man, I wasn't even thinking about it. And I watched the whole, from about the second inning on today, Get back from Bears, put myself in front of the TV. And I'm like thinking, oh, yeah, it's, it's you, Darvish, against Jake Arrieta. Like there wasn't much buildup to it. And I'm like, what a weird place we have gotten to with these two starting pitchers when it looked like when jake Arrieta signed assigned with philadelphia and he had some fast success with the phillies like on the field and he looked like he was like a leader there and he was calling out phillies players like oh man it's like that guy's gonna be missed and then you know you darvish was a train wreck at first with the cubs and it was like ah yeah the cubs they picked the wrong guy and then we figured out that as it turns out, the Cubs probably have the right guy and then there they were again, facing off against each other today. You Darvish in a Padres uniform, Jake Arrieta in a Cubs uniform again. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, the whole thing if you, if you don't pay much attention it can be hard to track and to, to keep up with, with those two guys and I, I had to I couldn't remember off the top of my head just because I I mean, I was so kind of dizzied by, again, here these two starting pitchers are. I asked Mike Rankin, who is our executive producer, to, to look it up to see when last they faced each other when you Darvish was in a Cubs uniform. They faced each other at Wrigley Field May twentieth, 2019, a 5-4 Phillies win. That day, Arietta six innings pitched, allowed eight hits, one run, four strikeouts, two walks. You Darvish, six innings pitched, four hits, three runs, seven Ks and three walks. So it was a pretty even matchup. But then here here we are again today, and it was, I would say you Darvish pitched better than Jake Arrieta, but the Cubs win the game 3-1 over the the San Diego Padres. Um, I don't want to leave people hanging here. Um, Art and Southern Cal want to talk about that Cubs-Padres game. Art, what's going on, man? You're on the score. How's
0: it going, man? I'm well. How are you? you I'm doing fabulous, especially after that game. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I've been out here since 2009, and I don't miss any opportunity to catch my cubbies when they're in Southern California. The last time I saw Jake Arrieta pitch before today live was at the no-hitter in 2015 against the Dodgers. And when I was there today, I was
1: chirping, wearing my Cubs gear all week because I worked in San Diego but live in Orange County. And it was so much fun watching the Padres
0: fans swarm for the entire game. And then when Alcantara
1: hit that home run,
0: uh-huh. and then
1: knew was coming in, the stadium started emptying out because wow. they knew the game was over.
2: God, man. And Art, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I heard I heard you Cubs fans out there in San Diego, very present as as Cubs fans always are in Southern California because of the transplant factor that does exist. Isn't that nice that it's gotten to the point where, you know, if Craig Kimbrell gets his hand on the baseball, it's over for the opposition. You know, you, you've seen those pitchers play against the Cubs in the past And finally, it is at that point where Craig, when he gets the baseball, you feel like, ah, that's it. Made it through the the middle part and the later part of the bullpen and got it to the big guy, Craig Kimbrell, and he did. He had a 1-2-3 ninth inning today. I will say this, though. Ryan Tapera was straight-up dominant in that game today. His seventh inning, 1-2-3 including the the strikeout of one will myers and his eighth inning he he got jerks pro four looking he then got tommy fam swinging it was a check swing no doubt so he didn't even know he, he didn't know what to do with that ryan tapera pitch it was a check swing and yeah he went around tommy fam sit down and then manny machado flyed out so, it was man, Teperas had some really, really impressive moments this year. I mean, he I would put him and Craig Kimbrell as my bullpen MVPs so far this year for the Cubs. And no, I did not forget about Rex Brothers, who also was terrific. He came in in the sixth inning, one one at the time. So he's looking for a massive hold right there. And he had some heavies coming up in Tatis and Hosmer. He got Fernando Tatis looking, and Tatis was very angry about that call. But it was in the box. What's in the box? That strike was in the box. Um, Eric Hosmer swinging and missing in that sixth inning. So it like, as I like to say, it was some legitimate stuff. And And then why not? Why not Sergio Alcantara hitting that home run? In the eighth inning to make it 3-1 Cubs. I mean, that was it. Then you, you kind of knew the game was over at that point. Like 2-1, I didn't feel good. Like, I, like, and how about that? How about to get it to the 2-1 point? Rizzo hits into the double play, and they, the Cubs score a run on the DP. But why? It was very interesting decision on the Padres' part to not come home at that point, and it bit them. It, it did um you know who knows what how the trajectory of the game changes if they come home on that play and get the man at the plate but instead they they tr- they were trusting in their offense and not thinking like hey man um the the Cubs bullpen is pretty good you probably as good as the top part of that offense is for San Diego probably a bad decision on your part to think that the Cubs bullpen can't can't close this thing out at 2-1 late in the game. So that was an interesting decision. I'm sure San Diego Sports Radio is not particularly pleased about that decision by the, the Padres manager. And for some reason, I can't, I can't channel that name in my head right now, the San Diego Padres manager. I forget his name, uh, but we'll we'll figure it out. So good series for the Cubs. Good bullpen work again. They take two out of three. They're thirty-five and twenty-seven for the mathematical moment, tied for first place again. Um, you know the rest of the series. The Monday nine-four win, or actually, yeah, the Padres won that game. Alzolai just didn't have it. And I don't know if it was because of the blister, but he was getting in trouble, getting out of trouble until he didn't. It was a bad day for Alzheimer's, for whatever reason it was. But that's that was the one loss. Last night, the, the 7-1 win over the Padres, in case you weren't up you know, late enough to see it. Wilson Contreras with just a massive home run in that game. Anthony Rizzo. And then that guy, Patrick Wisdom, with another home run last night and yeah just like the, the heat
1: check has not occurred yet like he's passed the heat check and Grody when you talked about the Padres banner Jace Tingler by the way thank you uh, But to go back on on what you were talking about Alcantara a role player uh, Ortega is in making a difference as a role player in and out of the lineup Ian Happ who by the way went to third on a Patrick Wisdom base hit to right which ultimately resulted in the in the go-ahead run to score on the Rizzo You know, double play. I mean, and Ian Happ played second base today. We're usually used to seeing him in the outfield. The Cubs keep finding ways to win, and you brought up the bullpen. The value of the bullpen, obviously, but when you have a lockdown closer in Kimbrell, that's like a World Series contender right there if you have the eighth and ninth lockdown. We talked about where you think about the philosophy and how to win a championship. Saw it happen in 16 with the dominant bullpen, so it just kind of murks more of the water when you have a guy like Kimbrell doing what he does.
2: Totally. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it took me a long time to get that to that point of trust where, when he got the baseball, what, am I really sure this is real? Like, it, the first few saves, even this year, even though he was like he was good for the end part of last year too. It's not like this was just brand new this year where Craig kimbrell was good. But I am officially at the point now where, when he gets the ball that if if he blows a save it's going to be the exception and i'm not worried about it like and and obviously you could trust it too because we know what he was before he came came to the cubs and i still think it was ryan Dempster on marquee who probably had one of the more simpler and better explanations of why craig kimbrell was bad for a while with the cubs and it was the time off you know i mean he he sat there not pitching until you know, ironically, it was David Ross who went and evaluated him and said, "Yeah, he's good. let's get Let's sign him up." And Theo Epstein said, "Yes, you cubs, you you guys have earned." earned my trust and you've earned craiger's kimbrell and it helped too that ben zobrist was was leaving and that money was available not that zobrist was going because he was going through some crap but that that money was available i will give you craig Kimbrel, but then he wasn't good and it was to ryan Dempster. It was because look this is a guy who you know depends on coming in and throwing with crazy velocity and you know being all pumped and he just he wasn't in rhythm and the time off very simply hurt him and it took that long to get back to where he is right now and he is one of the most trusted players on that Chicago Cubs team and when he gets the baseball I feel really good that I'm about to write down a Cubs win and talk about it right here on the score. We will continue to talk Cubs and Bears after a break. Also at 8:40 tonight we will we will we're sidebar Scotty Pippen announced a memoir, a new memoir, and it—it it it's called Unguarded. And we'll talk to Bulls writer Rob Schaefer about it, what he knows about it. I don't think Rob has been allowed to read it yet, but he wrote a little preview piece on it, so I want to pick Rob's brain on it and maybe talk a little bit about the Bulls. He, of course, of NBC Sports Chicago. So that's coming up a little bit. Bears and Cubs calls if you like, 312-644-6767. I'm Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. A swing and a high fly ball. Deep right center field. That ball's got a chance. Gone. Ball game tied at one. Jock Peterson with a towering home run to right center. And this ball game is tied one to one. A swing and a drive. Deep right field. This ball's got a chance. Gone. Sergio Alcantara has just hit a long home run to right. And the Cubs lead three to one here in the eighth inning. The pitch is swing and a high fly ball, right center and playable. Hayward is there, and so is Hap. Hap makes the catch, and the Cubs win the ballgame. The Cubs win it by a score of three to one. They win the series. It's a 1-2-3 save for Kimbrell. Cubbies. Yeah, man. Cubbies. Pat Hughes with the calls. Right here on your home for the Cubs, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score on Mark Brody. Cubs with a 3-1 win over the Padres, as Hughes told you. Man, talk about—I I like to—I've noticed about me, I like to say maximum effort. And a lot of times I'm referring to pitchers and— and things like that, trying to throw as hard as you possibly can. Talk about a guy who has a hard swing. If they measure such things, and I'm sure they do, Jock Peterson swings for the fences, <laughs> I mean, and he has been very successful um, in parts of his career and part and a good a now good part of this season in hitting the ball over the wall and hitting it hard, like. He he is swinging for it, and he knows it when he hits it. And it's been going on for a while now. I mean, after – you know, Jack Peterson was – Great in the spring training this year in those exhibition games, and then bad to start the year. Goes on the DL since he has come off it. Like he start, he was ripping singles literally left and right, and then now he's finally getting loft at hitting the ball over the wall. But he takes a mighty cut. He will swing at some horrendous pitches, probably second to Javier Baez in that regard. But he does not get cheated on his swings at the plate. Does Jock Peterson, who is turning into a very nice addition to the Cubs this year on the one year deal. Don't expect that he will be around uh, beyond. Well, I don't know who knows it, it, that that's a, that's a great question for the Cubs. Like what is, w- will they, will they open the bank account again in this off season? And would Jock Peterson be a part of what they want in, in the future? I don't know, but he, he certainly is playing well for the Cubs right now. One question, Really funny moments in the Cubs game today that I meant to get to earlier that I didn't. Is was, and I don't know if like if you did this in his first at bat, I did not see or remember you, Darvish's first at bat, but he comes to the plate in the fifth inning, does Darvish using the following Anthony Rizzo's walk up song, you know, that one song that Rizzo plays and everybody gets into you, <laughs> Darvish had it. So Darvish comes up to the plate. Rizzo got a good chuckle out of it. You Darvish was laughing. It was a very comical at bat actually for you Darvish. There was one point where a ball, b- yeah, that that song, it's that one song, boom. Uh huh. It's it's the only really character walk-up song on the Cubs right now. Like like w- the one that you could really feel familiar about because unless and, and I'm missing it because I haven't been at, I've been at one Cubs game this year at the park. Chris Bryant does not do warm it up, Chris, anymore. He does roll in the deep end, which is an awesome, like, badass song. But, like, I kind of miss, you know, jump around for Chris Bryant. Grody, was that jump.
1: Starlin Castro's walk-up song before Rizzo's and then Rizzo kept it? Was that? Am I wrong on Oh that? The, the Rizzo and Ty- that the one that we just oh, played. Oh
2: man, I don't think so. Okay, yeah, I thought God, it was. Not, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't believe it was, but God, I don't know. You know, it maybe it was. I'd have to go back and look because it doesn't appear that that Rizzo's musical tastes are great, and that's an awesome song. And I only say that because. And maybe he did it ironically. I don't know. He was using Taylor Swift as as his second song in his second head bat for the walk-up. But I noticed that the other day because I noticed music because I like music. And it just, like, the songs that the Cubs are using are not bad. And there are a lot of very recent songs and they're cool songs. But I just, like, look for something that's, like, more about the player or more character or something ironic or something fun that everybody can get into. But, so Darvish comes up to that song, and then at one point in his at-bat, the ball bounces, hits him in the stomach, and he, like, makes this really exaggerated, he acted like he got the wind knocked out of him, but I think he was just screwing around, and he's looking at his dugout, I assuming getting laughs from from the dugout, but I was like, it's like, it's like the you Darvish loud jack going on in the fifth inning, in that at-bat, with the song that he played, and, um, and then the... The acting like he was hurt by getting a ball in the gut. From eight one five, um, Castro had the best walk-up song ever. God, it what somebody is saying it was Cat. We're gonna we're gonna have to go back and look. Mike Rankin, that was, You have until ten o'clock tonight. i on it to to find out if Anthony Rizzo used if if Starlin Castro originally had that song. Oh, my God, I should remember this, but I I don't. From the 779, when Darvish figured everything out and it was great for the Cubs, he got traded. Could the same happen for Kimbrell if he keeps this up for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's possible, and I st- still think that it comes down to where are the Cubs when July 31st rolls around? Where are they at the end of their 3-4 and four in this gauntlet of a schedule right now? The Cubs are off tomorrow, tomorrow Thursday home against St. Louis on Friday afternoon. That's a three-game series. Then at the Mets for four games, home against Milwaukee. So far, so good on in, in this trip. So we shall see, and it is an unanswerable question, but a good question, something that I'm going to get more into. I'm going to be on, for, I think I'm out for three hours tomorrow night as well. We'll get more into the big picture stuff. Today is more about what happened in the game today, and just breaking down what happened, because there's been so much good stuff like within these games, and I know a lot of you guys aren't staying up for every single minute of late night Cubs games. It can be tough. I totally understand, but this this is what I do. Eight thirty five on the score. When we return, how about this for a a switch up in topics? Scottie Pippen announcing a new memoir entitled Unguarded so, a little preview from Bulls writer Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago. We'll pick his brain on Pippin and that upcoming memoir and what's going down with the Bulls here in the next couple of months. On Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. You're an
0: ambassador for the Bulls, is that right? I was. <laughs> Do you still
1: want to associate with them or not? I got fired this year. Whoa! Do we know about that? Yeah, I didn't really want to be out in the public, <laughs> but I'm
0: no longer employed by the Bulls. Okay. Okay. Well, Probably is a good thing, right? Yeah. You're free, man. Absolutely. I, I, honestly. I like,
1: to, I like to associate myself with winning. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I had never heard that before. That is, that is Scottie Pippen. In 2020, admitting on the the Teddy Greenstein podcast that he was he was fired as an ambassador. (laughs) I think just the way he said it cracks me up. We're going to have to explore that that particular item further at some point in time. (laughs) Fired as an ambassador. I mean, he must have done something really wrong. One of the greatest bulls of all time fired from his ambassadorial duties. Mark Grody with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. wonder if if that is going to be further explained in Scotty Pippen's upcoming memoirs, a book coming out by Scotty Pippen, a book that I found out about from reading up from our next guest. He is Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. What's going on, Rob? How are you tonight, man? I'm good, Grody. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, I did. Did you know Pippin? You probably knew. You probably knew Pippin was fired as the ambassador or a Bulls ambassador. I did not know that. Did you? Yeah, I, I remember
0: listening to that podcast uh, appearance last year. I believe it was last June, May, um, something something around a year ago. This time, and he was, you know, obviously referencing uh, something that happened a couple months. Before that, um, yeah, it, it definitely raised uh, my eyebrow. You you hear it played back, and I, I know you mentioned, you know, is there something that Scotty did wrong? It sounds like, you know, Scotty had problems with things that the Bulls were doing too, and it makes it all the more interesting when you hear uh, his memoirs titled Unguarded. It's coming out this November. Um, and, you know, a lot of the promotion around it is centered on this idea that, um, you know, the last dance was the story of, of Michael Jordan, and it wasn't necessarily the story of, of the team as a whole and certainly not the story of, Scotty Pippen, I know, you know, is why they reported while that documentary was coming out about a year ago that Scotty was a little rankled by his portrayal in, in certain aspects of it. So um, it adds a layer of intrigue to that. I, I you know, the, the, the reception to, uh, to me writing about that today was a little bit polarized. Some Bulls fans, I think, are looking forward to hearing his perspective. Some, um, you know, are a little fatigued by it. But uh, I think it'll be a must read just to get, you know, the other side of a lot of this stuff. And maybe he'll even get into it on some of his, uh, you know, post retirement associations with the Bulls, too. Well, now that's interesting that you say that
2: there that, that was a little bit divided in your mentions in the opinions, because when I, I honestly, like I like I do have Jordan fatigue right now. And, and that is from the last dance. And, and some of it has to do with that was all we had during the pandemic. So we were all obsessed with it and it came at a good time, you know, relatively speaking. But. Honestly, there was so much about it that I became flooded with it. And I, you know, I love Jordan just like everybody else, but I needed a break from it. However, when when Scotty Pippen speaks up a little bit and he talks about and teases some of the things coming out in this book, I'm actually very interested to get now to get a different perspective. What you said, fatigue with with that, is it, w- were people like they didn't want to hear from Scotty Pippen whining, or what was like? What if you can explain further some of the critiques of people about this
0: upcoming memoir from Scotty Pippen? Yeah, I, I think you know my gauge on it, and and it's and it's from a very outsider perspective, just kind of reading comments. It it seemed to me more of the latter. People just kind of generally, I think, being more comfortable or believing uh, Michael's version of events more. Now, who knows? I mean, I I don't even know how diametrically opposed uh, they're going to be. Um, You know, the the promotion, the rollout for the book seems to paint it as if there will be kind of opposite sides of the story here, or at least differing uh, versions of events. Um, So I I think it was more the latter. You know, speaking from someone who you know, was writing a lot and and kind of diving into the history of, of those teams and those years in Bulls history during um, the last dance, I certainly have never sensed a lack of an appetite for, you know, more never before heard stories and, um, and more kind of undiscovered truths from that era. So I think that's, that's what makes it uh, especially compelling to me is that, you know, there will be uh, more to examine there and more kind of gaps to fill in. Cause I think even people that, you know, loved the documentary can acknowledge that um, it was coming from a very specific lens and it does require a deeper study into not only, you know, other players accounts, but also, you know, you can read like, you know, I, I just finished up uh, the great Sam Smith's uh, the Jordan rules, you know, thing, things like that. There, there, there are ways to fill in the gaps um, on that, that aren't just from the documentary. So this will just be kind of another work um, to to continue doing that. But I do think the, the negative reception was probably a little bit more geared towards Scotty. And I guess, you know, I wasn't uh, around for, you know, the majority of, Dynasty years, um, even being sentient for a lot of for a lot of that time. So I don't know what the prevailing sentiment was at the time, but it seems like there is a faction of the fan base that is maybe a little bit fatigued with uh, with him specifically. But it'll be interesting to see how it's received when it when it rolls out and people are able to read it and we can kind of um, examine what what is actually said. Yeah, and I think the the
2: irony of of that is is that this is Scotty Pip. Hopefully. You know, it, It's a rebuttal, as you kind of indicated, to what Michael Jordan did, but also maybe a chance to clear up with Bulls fans his perspective on every, including—because it, it, you did right that one of the things that will probably come up in this is the the 1.8 seconds where he right. refused to go into the playoff game, and then uh, Tony Kukoc ends up hitting the, the game-winning shot— um, you mentioned, too, the the unheralded pre-professional days, the Pippen's underprivileged upbringing in Hamburg or Hamburg, Arkansas, and then, as you wrote, the off- offering pointed and transparent takes on Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, and Isaiah Thomas. And I think one of the more compelling things I'm looking to hear more about, too, is, and even if you didn't see every second of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, you'd well know that Scottie Pippen was always referred to as... Michael Jordan's sidekick, Robin to Batman, and apparently, um, he Rob He didn't. He hated that. He didn't like being referred to as a sidekick. And
0: I can't imagine that really any athlete would particularly appreciate
1: that. No, I suppose
0: not. And especially when you examine kind of how that um, the season that, that Michael took away played out, and Scotty was the best player on that team, and they were a 50-plus win team, and they they were a team that was in the second round of the playoffs, and it was seven-game bout with um, with the Knicks. Even if that series doesn't go. Bulls' way. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, is one of the 50 greatest players of all time. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the stuff about his background because I think that'll all be very um, interesting to read uh, about, too. But um, certainly, I think, you know, in the larger scope of NBA athletes in general, is one of the more underrated players of all time. And that probably comes with playing in the shadow uh, of Michael Jordan. But, you know, maybe this is kind of his grand. I mean, I'm sure he's. You know, I, I, he seems to me to be a largely reserved guy. I don't think he does a lot of press or a lot of, um, you know, things like this, but maybe this, you know, book is, is kind of his vision of um, being his, his grand statement on a lot of different things. I mean, in addition to the 1.8 second game, I'm sure the migraine game and uh, I believe that was the 1990 uh, Eastern Conference Finals, I'm sure that'll come up. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot of different aspects of it that I'm um, looking forward to reading about because, honestly, in just going through Bulls history is, as part of my job and understanding the context of everything. I always have kind of gravitated to Scotty naturally because um, I think he is, you know, a little bit uh, underrated in the grand scope. Maybe not amongst Bulls fans who were there and saw it, um, but in the larger scope of of NBA history, you know, as much as I think a lot of people would say, you know, hey Scotty, none of your success comes without Michael. You know, Michael said in the documentary that the Dynasty Bulls, Michael Jordan, the Last Dance, none of that happens without um, Scotty either. So his his firsthand account of this is not something that I'm sure we've heard in full before and it, it makes me really look forward to reading this in November or maybe even before, you know, whenever I get a chance to read it, I'll be, I'll be greatly, uh, you know, looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, and I, I should make that clear to people listening, ne- neither Rob nor I have been able to get the sneak preview, yet the book does come out in, sure. in November. So that's that's when it'll be, and, um, you know, there, I, I imagine there will, like any good book, they'll, we'll, we'll learn, we'll get little teases from it and I'll get to read it in November. But let us, let us fast forward to, the year 2021. We are again talking to Bulls writer Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. I'm Mark Rody on the score here until uh, 10 o'clock tonight. We got Grobber coming up in about an hour from right now as well. What is what are the what's going on this off season in terms of what the first moves that will be made or the first moves or things that that Mark Eversley and Arturo Karnishevics need to think about? What are the first things that need to be done for this
0: Bulls team in the off season? Well, the biggest thing comes in about two weeks. Uh, the, the draft lottery will be a big kind of, uh, harbinger of how the rest of this Bulls offseason is going to go. Obviously, as part of the Nikola Vucevic trade, uh, the Bulls traded away two future firsts. Uh, that first one comes this year, unless the pick falls in the top four in the lottery. Uh, there's a 20.3% chance of that happening, uh, which is great. It also means there's an 80, you know, almost an 80% chance of that not happening. Um, so not only, you know, is that a, not only is this a a pretty stacked draft, especially at the top, um, if you kind of listen to most evaluators, prognosticators. So the Bulls, I mean, obviously would love to keep that pick to add an impact prospect to this roster. Um, That also would have salary cap ramifications. You know, you're adding an eight to $10 million salary to your books if you are, you know, in the top four range. Um, So, you know, in two weeks, that's on June 22nd, that'll be a huge domino to fall. Um, Now, if the Bulls, do retain that pick it'll be interesting to dive into who they might select depending on where they end up and how that affects their cap space moving forward if they don't it's um kind of an omen because uh, obviously you make that trade this season for a guy like nicole Vucevic and you bring another oh, yeah. all-star in and you expect to make the immediate jump they didn't uh you know to not make the playoffs um with that as context is disappointing to say the least and if they don't keep that pick they're going to have to get really creative uh this offseason uh, in terms of adding to this roster i mean point guard is a pretty widely reported uh, area that they're um, intending to address. I think they could use another wing or two. Um, obviously, there's a lot of veteran depth. There's a lot of pre-agent decisions and partial guarantee decisions up. Uh, so this roster you know, could look a lot different next season, uh, but until they know if they're going to have their first-round pick, obviously, uh, it's hard to know exactly what resources uh, they'll have at their disposal. So once that domino drops, um, it'll be interesting to see where they land, and then we move on to... Uh, We move on to maybe the draft combine, maybe the pre-draft process, um, or we just move straight on to uh, free agency speculation and um, kind of trying to to pin down what they're they're exactly going to do there.
2: Yeah, and of course, free agent speculation, like you said. And then there is the Lowry marketing. How how soon do they have to act, or when do we get sort of closure on marketing, whether he stays here or does not? Yeah, so I
0: don't – off the top of my head, I don't have his – um, qualifying offer uh, deadline off the top of my head. It'll be right around the time that free agency opens, which is the first week of August, August gotcha. 2, I believe. So, you know, if the Bulls want to pursue uh, a timeline where they have um, a healthy amount of cap space to chase a big fish or as big a fish as there is in the free agent market, uh, it's always possible. You know, the only way that they can get to um, a weighty amount of cap space is to, you know, cut ties with Larry Marketing uh, completely. Um, I think probably, I don't know for sure, but I, I would think the more likely outcome is that they do extend that qualifying offer and retain his restricted rights, which would obviously mean um, Larry Markin hits the open market. He's he's set on record to, to Casey Johnson, my colleague, that he's going to um, explore his options out there in free agency. If they do extend that qualifying offer and they retain his restricted rights, they'll be able to match any offer sheet he signs. You, you know, you could also pursue a sign-in trade at that event, um, things along those lines. So I would look for that to be resolved around the time that, Free agency is resolved, which should be uh, the first week of August. I believe negotiations open the second, and then the moratorium lifts on the on the fifth or sixth, and deals can start being finalized. Um, but Lowry's a a big chip too because he, he kind of became an afterthought towards the end of the season in the rotation um, because it didn't seem like uh, Billy Donovan or or even the front office just based on their actions, it didn't seem um, that he was the most uh, snug fit. Next to Nikola Vucevic, who's obviously going to be a building block going forward. Um, but you still have a guy who shot a career high from three and exact type of young, you know, kind of untapped talent that another team might talk themselves into. So it'll be interesting to see if the Bulls, um, you know, pursue a sign and trade match, retain the asset.
2: We have lost. Okay. All right. We have, we have lost our guy, Rob Schaefer, talking about the the Chicago Bulls and things that need to be done. There is much business that needs to occur before, obviously, the, the Bulls head into next year. And I got to say, like, then this, this was the next area that I wanted to go into with Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago with the Bulls and the, the – because there is, there is a window that kind of started when the Bulls made the trade for Nikola Vucevic, that all of a sudden you have a guy who is, what, 31 years old um, – you know he's he's probably got a few 3 4 five, maybe you know 5 years of of really good play left in him right like star play caliber but you you're starting some kind of clock by having him here which i think means probably means good things for bulls fans in free agency and building this team up to dare i say win now like and have a team that can compete next year, and that 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 might be asking too much too soon on this team. But it's something that I, I wonder about. And and Rob Schaefer, I am I'm just talking right now about the the clock that the Bulls are on right now. The window didn't a window and a clock start the second that they traded for Nikola Vucevic in terms of getting to the playoffs and winning in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely, um, because you've 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 pushed your chips in. Um, a regime that came in with, with a reputation as being savvy drafters, um, or coming from savvy drafting front offices, are Terrence Karneshovas and Mark Eversley, both, and, and a lot of the guys that they hired to fill out the staff around them, um, to invest that amount of draft capital in making this kind of immediate win now move. And that by doing that, signaling a commitment to build around Zach Levine, uh, who's up for an extension next offseason. I mean, the clock has, has certainly started ticking on, on, um, on everybody who's in the organization. Um, to win soon. I mean, they they made that move with that intention, um, so you have to judge them by that intention. Moving forward, um, you know, for the last two months of their first season, it, it didn't live up to expectations. But you know, as as complicated or, as it is, or as much creativity as it requires, there are avenues to improve this off season. Um, I'm sure the Bulls hope that a full off season and um, you know time to prepare and a normal schedule and, and all those uh, factors kind of ironing themselves out next year. Uh, will yield internal improvement. Um, so, certainly, I I think playoffs next year is a more than fair uh, expectation. Um, I've even said recently. I mean, top six. I mean, if the plane is the thing moving forward, yeah. I don't see any reason why this isn't a top four, five, six team in the East. Uh, players on the roster, and mainly Garrett Temple, talked about it being inconceivable that they couldn't uh, be in the top ten, much less in the top uh, you know five, six, seven, eight. Um, that was certainly the intention when they made the move at the deadline. It didn't happen this year. Um, there, there are teams to jump, but at the same time, you know, it seems like this bottom rung or the couple bottom rungs of the Eastern Conference are never particularly impressive on a yearly basis. So I, I do think there will still be a window up for them, but it's going to require, you know, obviously not, not only uh, creativity to bring in external guys, um, but also uh, internal improvement. But I, I absolutely think playoffs next year are, you know, uh, definitely a make or break uh, expectation.
2: Rob, great stuff as always. I love it when you come on, man, and hopefully we will uh, we will talk soon, brother. No doubt. Thanks for having me. You got it. That is Bulls writer Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago talking about everything from Scottie Pippen to Larry Markkinen and what may or may not happen with him. All right. We got a jamming final hour. That's right. We got a full hour left here on the show. We will clear up the confusion over... Anthony Rizzo... And Starlin Castro's walk-up songs, that will be taken care of. I definitely am going to need to hear Scotty Pippen again, his cavalier attitude about having been fired. from. Sometimes you just miss stuff. And I had missed that Scotty Pippen was fired as an ambassador in 2020 and then discussing it with Teddy Greenstein. It tickled me silly. So we're going to we're gonna have some of that. And then a great treat for you at 9.30. Les Grobstein will be on to talk about what happened 11 years ago today when Pat. Patrick Kane made that goal that nobody saw go in the net, and the Blackhawks won the first of three titles, that one ha- happening in Philadelphia. So wh- who better to go down memory lane with less because he was there, and I wasn't. So Grobber will join us at 9.30. And your calls, you are welcome in here. 312-644-6767. We're going to have a blast in the next hour here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.